0: It's been a great morning, and of course, this is this week in our country where we are focusing on the value of every human life, and here we are in church. Uh, I'm guessing that most of us who show up at an 11 o'clock service know that from the very beginning time of describing human beings in the Bible, we are told that we are made in the image of God, right? Genesis chapter one, every human being, male and female, made in the image of God. Now, I'll just tell you this. Nobody fully understands what that means, that that we're made in God's image. No matter what theologians tell you, nobody fully understands this. But I'll tell you, whether you go to church very often or not, if you walk into a church and somebody looks at you and says, you bear God's image, you know that that person values you, right? You know that. And that's exactly what should always happen when we gather. So mark this down. I've written it down so that we won't miss it. Followers of Jesus believe that there is something sacred about every human life. Amen? Regardless of age, regardless of ethnicity, gender, educational level, religious background, how much money you have, where you were born, this should be a distinguishing mark of the church of Jesus Christ, that we believe... All human beings are of infinite value simply because we are human. Now, this focus on human life and the way the world thinks about it begins with uh, Martin Luther King Day. And so we've set aside some time today to think about that. Because here was a man who declared that people should respect people simply because they are people. Now, I know that sounds like obvious. But the fact is that believing that and living in the light of it cost him his life. And uh, so we remember that. And, and, and I, I, at least one part of that dream that was uh, read to us today, I want to highlight again as he preached in uh, Washington, D.C., August 28, 1963. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we believe all men are created equal. And we know that there's still a lot of work to be done, right? Now, next weekend, we're going to come back as a church and we're going to remember Sanctity of Life Weekend. Do do you know about that? It's a commemoration that began when many people saw that human life in the womb was being devalued and even destroyed in our nation. And we said that life is human life. Now, over the the many years, uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday or week also makes us think about the devaluation of human life for what I think is often a smokescreen. Some people don't value human life because of what they say is a lack of a quality of life. It's a euphemism. You know what it's a euphemism for? You don't have much quality of life when you get to be too old. It worries me as I'm getting older here a little bit. Or we don't have much quality of life if we have certain disabilities. Now, we're not going to be able to deal with all of the controversies and uh, complexities dealing with the value of a human life. Like what, pastor, you might ask. We won't be able to deal specifically with abortion this week or racism, euthanasia, Uh, even the matter of immigration this thing speaks to. Instead, you know what I'm going to do in this service? In this service, we are going to take time to deal with the most basic truth of all. Because that's something that the Bible lays down and it changes the way we approach people, whatever that situation, whatever that controversy might be. So here's this starting point. It is a rock solid starting point from which we can walk into all of these difficulties. The question that I want us to think about is this. When I come across a human creature, what is the most important thing that I see? Or maybe when you come across a human being, what is the most important thing that you see? And we're going to let this text that Jennifer read for us be our guide. And when she read it, did it seem like a bit of an obscure text? Actually, what we have beginning with Mark chapter 7, verse 24, running through verse 37, is that Jesus comes across two people. We have the stories of two people. And there are two people that in the eyes of the values of the people in his world, in his society, these people should not have been valued at all. In fact, Jesus would have been told have nothing to do with them. They will defile you. And Jesus in this text shows us how we should see people, all people. He turns, as he does all the time, he turns the values of the world as a whole on end. Absolutely turns it upside down. And in doing so, I'll just, I hope at the end, you and I are going to see the way that God sees us and hopefully just be so thankful. But also the challenge we have is to go and represent Him in the way that we see people and treat people. So, you ready? I I was going to go over both stories today. At the end of the message, you'll be really glad I didn't. I'll just tell you. So we're going to have one this week and one next week on Sanctity of Life. So you've got to come back next week. But uh, first of all, the first woman we run into, and it's in Mark 7, 24 to 30, was uh, the whole story is in every way things are going wrong. This is the wrong way for things to happen. What do I mean? Uh, Well, first, it was the wrong place for Jesus to be. Verse 24. Jesus left that place, and by that place, it meant he was in Galilee among the uh, Jewish people. He left that place and went to, and it doesn't tell us why. It just seems like he was determined to go. He went to the vicinity of Tyre, and there in Tyre, he entered a house. Now, let me just give you a setting for this just a little bit. In the first six chapters of Mark's Gospel... Uh, If you haven't been here, you you haven't seen this. But in the first six chapters of Mark's Gospel, Jesus has been doing things that only God can do. He has been speaking to the winds and the waves, be still, and they were still. Only God could do that. He was forgiving sins. He was casting out demons just by a word. He was taking a little bit of food and turning it into enough food to feed thousands of people. He was even raising the dead to life. And yet when you get to Mark chapter 7... He has these uh, religious leaders come. And the only thing that they seem to even notice that he's doing is that he and his disciples aren't washing their hands enough. Oh, man. And it seems like they think that the, the biggest thing that God is concerned about is that we don't defile ourselves in some way. Uh, how? By touching sick things. Touching dead things. And especially touching the wrong kinds of people like gentiles and so here in verse 24 jesus goes right into a gentile community and he enters right into one of their homes it was not the place that a jewish rabbi should have been going i think i have a picture just so you can see it a little bit here a map of it you see there, galilee i don't see colors very well but that darker color is the jewish area and just to the north of it is tire that's where he goes do you see it up there to that region that was all uh, Gentile territory. It's, it's where the Jewish people only went if they had to go. It wasn't very far away, but he goes into that area. And if you look at Mark's Gospel in chapter 3, verse 8, we find out that people from Tyre had heard about Jesus and all the miracles that he did. And they would go down there, The kind of the wow factor was there, and see him and do all the, the healings and all the miracles that he had done. So these people in Tyre where Jesus went would have known a lot about him especially that he could do things like healing people and casting out demons. But the point I want to make today is uh, the people of Tyre had become the arch enemies of the Jews because the Tyrites in their most recent wars had sided with the enemy against their Jewish neighbors. Not only that, at this particular time when Jesus was alive, apparently the Tyrites were were in cahoots with the Roman government to keep the Jewish people under the yoke of Rome and they were benefiting financially by the the people of Israel being in bondage. Do you see this? That wouldn't create for a good relationship in case you just think about that. Uh, In fact, the relationship was so bad that Josephus, uh, the historian, would say that the Tyrites are notoriously Israel's bitterest enemies. And then in addition to this, The Tyrites, in the way that they worshipped, were the most pagan in terms of the kind of worship that they had of all the people who lived around them. So the thing that you have to see today is the religious leaders that we have early on in chapter 7 would have been saying this, that when Messiah comes, one thing he is going to do is expel and subdue these awful Tyrites. The Messiah will not go into their homes and embrace them. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He was in the wrong kind of place. Second, he was, this was the wrong kind of person for Jesus to be speaking to, in verses 25 and 26, so that in case we think, well, he might have gotten into Tyre and just stayed in a, in a Jewish home and not had any contact with these people. Mark gives us some detail, more detail than he usually does, about one of the people in verses 25 and 26. Look at it with me. A woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. And then Mark goes on to add, in case we miss it, this woman was a Greek born in Syria and Phoenicia. And now, first, I want you to put yourself into Jesus' shoes. Everybody was kind of hoping among his kinsmen that everybody would respect him. And now Jesus is going to be going in and actually entering into a discussion with a Tyrite woman. What would his family think? Can you imagine that? Jesus might have thought, if he'd think like most of us thinks, think, uh, he might have thought, oh, I better not do that. All my friends, all the guys I went to school with, they won't have anything to do with me. I would better stay away with her, from her. Because especially when you think about her, of all the people that, that Jesus should avoid, uh, she was perhaps almost the ultimate. Why do I say that? Uh, let me just, number one, because she was a woman. Now well, we have a, few women here, it seems like maybe more than men, so I'm in dangerous territory right now. But did you know that the Jewish rabbis would write about this, that they did not feel that women were worthy of them spending their time with women? Did you know that? So she was a woman. Not only that, she was a Gentile woman. Not only was she a Gentile woman, she was one of those awful Tyrite Gentile women And not only that, in her home, there was the presence of evil. Her her daughter was, was demonized. She was even the kind of person that in any community, people would say, there's something wrong in that home. You should stay around away from that woman. Even her own neighbors would have viewed her with suspicion. So she was a Gentile, Tyrite woman with evil presences in her home. She was the very person that, who in every conceivable way would be the one that the religious leaders would say, you've got to avoid her. Now again, I had Jennifer read all the way from verse 17 on because I wanted you to remember Jesus' words that it's not the things that we touch on the outside that defile what's inside of our hearts. It's rather what we bring into our hearts, those things we bring in that defile who we are. Right now we have a story to find out if Jesus really believed that. Do you ever have a time when you come and you hear the preacher preaching and you, you wonder, does he really believe that thing? And when the issue comes up, will he live that way? So Jesus had said something very hard before. Now is he actually going to do what he said, believing that my contact with someone like this is not going to defile me? So the way you've got to think about it is from the perspective of his world, the most defiled person imaginable comes to him. The only thing many of the leaders cared about was getting defiled. And this woman now rushes up to Jesus and begs for his help. What will he do? Wrong kind of place. Wrong kind of person. Third. The response that Jesus makes is the wrong kind of response for him to be making. Look at verse 27. In case you were sleeping while Jennifer was reading, this thing has caused people so many problems over the years. Again, I want you to to imagine being there if you're going to understand this thing. Other religious leaders, when this woman came walking into their presence, she would have to have expected this. Other religious leaders would just look at her and say, you dog, you, because that's what the religious leaders called the Gentiles. You mongrel, you dog, you. What on earth and in heaven would ever make you think that a person like me would have anything to do with a person like you? And almost certainly would have gotten his disciples and said, get this woman out of my presence and do it now. That's what she should have expected. I mean, she had some courage to go in there, don't you think? But then, I think she might have known that Jesus wasn't like all other religious leaders. I've already pointed out. Other religious leaders wouldn't have been in Tyre in the first place. They certainly wouldn't have gone into one of the homes in Tyre. I'm quite sure that this woman knew that Jesus did many things (laughs) that the average religious leader didn't do. Like what? Like Mark chapter 2. He went over to the home of tax collectors. What else? He and his disciples picked grain on the Sabbath. What else? What else? Jesus in Mark chapter 5 was willing to enter into a relationship with a Gentile demon-possessed man and then set him free and have him sit at his feet. What else? Do you know the story of where the the woman had had this bleeding that had been going on for 12 years, this uh, uterine hemorrhaging that has been going on? That would have been something that the religious leaders said that defiles her, you shouldn't touch her. And this woman had touched Jesus. And instead of Jesus holding her at arm's length, He welcomes her. He forgives her. And he gives her peace in the light of her faith. With that in mind, look at Jesus' response in verse 27. He used a parable. And remember, up to now, nobody had understood parables. And I know you're going to understand it exactly. Here's what he said. First, let the children eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. You get it, right? All right. You're with me now, right? You're going to stick with me. Let's put that verse up there. I want you to look at it. I don't usually do this often, but I've got to show you this in the language that the Bible is given to us in. So there are a couple of points I want you to make. See it uh, Let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Uh, The first thing I want you to see is this word for children that Jesus used was the word that they would use for biological children. Uh, The word was technon. It was a word that was used for the children of Israel being God's children. That for some reason they had this special status because God had called them to be His chosen people. So He said that the bread should first go to the technon to the biological children. The woman in verse 28 changes the word. The word she uses is paideon. The word she uses is, but it's okay if some of the other children, and that word was used for those who were adopted. That word was used sometimes for the servants and even sometimes for the household pets. So Jesus said, first it must go to the biological children, to the people of Israel. And she says, but isn't there some for the broader family? Second, Jesus speaks of food first coming to the technon, to the biological members of the household. And again, the Jewish people were those people. You you know the story of the Bible. So many people come to church, and I don't want to take it for granted that you do. But in the Old Testament, when people went wrong, God had chosen a people through whom he said a Messiah would come. And the blessings, when he comes, will go first to them, and then it will spill over. And to Abraham, he said, eventually, it will bring blessing to all the world. That's, that's what he had said. And so throughout the Old Testament, so many times the, the children of Israel were heavily persecuted over centuries as they were kept separate as a people. Uh, have you ever seen the musical Fiddler on the Roof? Uh, I, I meant to look up exactly how tevia did it, but there was one part that I thought of when I heard this. tevia the, the Jewish man, they were facing persecution yet again. And in his usual, one of his times of prayer, he says, uh, Lord, I know that we are your chosen people. But sometimes, couldn't you choose someone else? (laughs) I always love that line. But the fact is that the children of Israel had gone through heavy persecution for centuries so that the Messiah could come through them. And the promise was that when Messiah came, the blessings of the king would go first to them. See that? Third thing I want you to see. In the parable... Jesus did not use the word that most of the uh, religious leaders used when they talked about Gentiles. Again, Jewish leaders would call Gentiles dogs. And the word that they would use was kion. Uh, That word was for these vagabond dogs who would just tear things apart and do so much destruction. I think I have a picture so you can see the kind of... No, that isn't it. There they are. See, it was worth waiting for, wasn't it? That's the word that, That's what they would call the Gentiles, kion. But, but Jesus used the word cunarion, which is a word for the household pet. And I think I have a picture of one of those as well. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of you know, that's my own cunarion. That's a Baxter, the dog at the Waybright home. You see, there's a big difference, even though they're both canines, uh, there 's a big difference between the Keon, the scavenger mongrel dog who 's out there in the garbage and the on who 's a part of the household. Do you see that so this was something that was unexpected for her, expecting that this religious leader would call her a dog now she 's hearing this language that is so so very different so uh, jesus response i 'll tell you wasn 't the kind that anyone would have expected, and he tells it in a parable. And uh, we always wonder if anybody's going to understand the stories. Do you understand the story? If I can just tell you, I think Jesus is saying this. Woman, don't you know that the bread of God's kingdom blessing that I bring, and he'd been using this language of bread, bring God's blessing that we receive, uh, being what the Messiah would bring ever since, like chapter 4. He said the bread of God's kingdom blessing that, that I must bring must first go to the biological members who have been persecuted for so long and through whose lineage I have been born. So surely it's not right for me to take what must first come to my people and toss it to the other members of the household. It's what Paul said in the book of Romans. God's good news is first to come to the Jew, and then the grace is so great it will abound and eventually go to the Greek, to the, to the Gentile. Now I'm telling you, is, that clear? is this making sense to you? This would have been a rather shocking response, maybe shocking in a different way than it is to our own culture. And again, he told it in a parable. And up to this time, nobody had understood a parable, not even his only disciples. So in telling this parable, surely this woman, Gentile, Tyrite, who has a daughter who is demonized, she will not understand a parable if none of these men had understood it. Right? Right? Point four. The wrong kind of person receives the blessing of the king. You can tell I've come to love this story. Verses 28 to 30. Again, and I think of this woman, she'd almost certainly known that Jesus had cast out demons at other points in his ministry. And I think she also knew this was an unusual kind of religious leader. I mean, coming into Tyre and into this home. And I imagine she had even heard what was so well known among the people of Israel that the Messiah would come through the line of Abraham and eventually become a blessing to all people. Yes, first to the Israelites, but then later to other people like her. So in the light of that, consider her words in verse 28. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, I was really wrestling with this, and one of the blessings of me being here at Lake Avenue Church is I get to work with the greatest people like Pastor Carol Kenyon who works with children. and She helped me to understand this from a woman's perspective. So men, you have to listen more carefully because in the first service all the women nodded and the men were just nothing. So we'll just have to see. So Carol pointed out that this woman was desperate. She said, can you imagine a home in which your daughter is obviously under the influence of evil and everybody in the neighborhood knows it And this woman knows that Jesus has power over such things. And now she hears that this same Jesus is in her area and into a home. And she goes rushing into that house before anybody can throw her out. And she just borts out, Lord, set my daughter free from this evil. And even though she should normally have expected a man like this to have her thrown out. Instead, um, she hears him use words like, first... And, and family language, like children, and, and even family pet. And, and Carol said, It's like there's an opening, there is an opening. And here's what Carol wrote If I had been that woman and I saw any opening at all, I would have grabbed it. Any attention is good attention when you're desperate. And I would do whatever I could to stay in that conversation, I'd have nothing to lose. Except a little bit more of my pride and sense of dignity. And if my child is in danger, I'd go for broke. What do you think? I think that's what's going on here. That's what this woman does. She, she makes herself a part of the parable. Do you see that? If you want to read the parables of Jesus, look at the characters and find them in the parable, and find yourself in the parable, and you'll be able to connect to it and apply it to your life. She put herself right in the parable. She wrestles with Jesus. She won't leave. She wrestles. Like do you know the story of Jacob of the old, where he wanted God to bless him, and he just held on and wrestled with him until God blessed him. That's what she does. She she knows who God is, and she's not going to give up on His goodness. I mean, since Mark chapter six, Jesus has been using the illustration of bread to speak of the blessing of God's kingdom. And she gets it. Nobody else had gotten it. She gets it. And she says to Jesus, even the crumbs of God's blessing will be enough for me. Even if the bread must go first to the children of Israel, Jesus, the crumbs of what you give will be sufficient. And Jesus says, such an answer. That's what he says. Such an answer. In Matthew, the same story is told, and it's added Woman, you have great faith. And then he said, You may go. The demon has left your daughter. Do you see it? Do you see it? This woman did not come to Jesus on the basis of who she was. She didn't come on the basis of her goodness or her rights or her merits. She only came on the basis of who she thought Jesus was. She did not say, Jesus, give me what I deserve on the basis of who I am or the rights that I have. She said, Jesus, give me what I deeply long for and you know I deeply need, though I do not deserve but I know you will give it because of who you are. and I'm going to hold on until I see your goodness. Think about it. This woman fully accepted that the Messiah first was to bring the bread to the people of Israel. But she also knew that the grace of God was so great that there was grace and mercy available through this Messiah to those outside Of the technon outside of biological Israel. She knew that the superabundance of God's blessing that was to come through the Messiah was eventually going to spill over and include people like her and her daughter. And she she says, Why not now? Why not now? Bless, Bless me now. What an irony! What an irony! Jesus, for chapter after chapter, has been trying to get the men there in Galilee, even his own male disciples, to understand any of his story, but they remem- remained as dense as rocks. But this, this, uh, this Gentile, Tyrite woman who had evil in her home is the first person in the Gospel of Mark to understand who Jesus is and why he had come. And Jesus blessed her saw faith in her response Tim Keller pastor in Manhattan he summarizes the way we are to respond to the good news of Jesus he has two sides he says we must see that we are more wicked than we could ever dare imagine and we are more loved than we could ever dare to hope both of those things at the same time We are more wicked than we could ever dare to imagine. That's the bad part, right? I'm just telling you, you can't even embrace the good part until until we acknowledge who we are. As long as we would have an attitude, we see somebody out there in the streets and we think, I could never be like that. That person, she got herself into that. I would never do that. As long as we think that, we will never understand the grace of God. We will stay blind to the mercy and grace of Jesus. Is this clear? But at the same time, we've got to hold on to the fact of who he is. He is a God who is merciful and and gracious and and is ready and able to forgive us and remake us. Just think if this woman had known the first part and, and her own unworthiness to receive God's blessing, and she would have said something like this, How dare you say such things to me? I don't have to put up with this. Can't you hear that in 21st century society? She would have never received kingdom blessings. And the opposite would have been for her to have failed to recognize who Jesus is. She could have said, oh, I know I'm so awful. I let my daughter get into that stuff. I'm no good. And what happens then? And that's like us. We start wallowing in all this stuff. And we think that God isn't great enough to take our sins and cast it as far as east is from the west. No, it's both sides. It's an acknowledgement of who I am, but it's also an acknowledgement of the greatness of our God and that if we'll come and say, "I, I know I don't deserve it, but here is my life. Will you take me? That he will receive us. He will receive you, whatever is in your past, because he loves you with an everlasting love and you are made in his image and he is ready and able to forgive and give himself to you and remake you into what he would have you to be. This woman understood it. And she received kingdom blessing. Thomas Cranmer was a great Christian of the 16th century. No, I never met him. I I didn't. He was what's called an English reformer, which means he was one of the people who wanted to bring the good news and the Bible back into the lives of his people. And he became the Archbishop of Canterbury. If you've ever seen the beautiful first book of common prayer, much of it was done by Thomas Cranmer. And one of his prayers, he loved this story. He loved this story. And one of his prayers in the first book of Common Prayer is called The Prayer of Humble Access. The Prayer of Humble Access. Uh, and this is the story it's based on. And he said, we have to learn to come to God. Not just focusing on our own unworthiness. We have to own it, but not think that that's the greatest thing of all. We've got to know that God's greater, grace is greater than our sins. We have to focus on the greatness of God and His grace. And here's what he wrote. Uh, maybe at communion in a few weeks we'll uh, pray this together. Maybe you want to make it your prayer now. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always, always to have mercy. Hallelujah. Now I'm at the end of the story. Aren't you glad I didn't go on to the second? Let me clear my throat. But <clears throat> well, let's think about what I want you to take home. I called it her story and our stories. I thought, how can I get right at the heart of this? So let me ask you this question. When you hear this woman's story, <clears throat> excuse me. when you hear this woman's story, what is your first thing thought about applying it to yourself? Do you first think, oh, I'm a lot like that woman. I'm a lot like that woman. I can relate to her and if God shows mercy to her, there's hope for me. Do you first think that? Or do you think, this week I'm going to come across a lot of people like that woman and I want to show them God's mercy and grace. You don't have to vote. Do you know what the message is? That absolutely both of them are essential. That our response starts with number one. Understanding who we are so that we never deal with somebody from a position of self-righteousness or I am better than or I won't listen to. You see, that any human being is a person worthy of entering into a relationship and growing together with. And, and then that gives us the position to go out and confront people and bring people the love of Jesus. So I have two calls to us as a church. Number one, I call us at Lake Avenue Church to respond to Jesus as she did. I want us to think every week, am I still overwhelmed by the fact that this holy and perfect and powerful God wants me and his family? I know myself. I know where I've fallen short. God, you know everything about me. You want me anyway? And he says, yes. He turns to you and he says, I love you with an everlasting love. I'm not done with you yet. I can forgive whatever's in your past. I can remake your future It's got to start there. Are you still overwhelmed by the mercy and grace of God? I I pray that we will be. That we come to him not on the basis of what we have done, but we just come to him and say, I I can't come on the basis of who I am because I've fallen short. But I know who you are. (laughs) I know who you are. And I know that you are gracious and merciful and you receive people. So, Lord, receive, receive me. I'll take whatever crumbs you are ready to give. I know they will be enough. You see, it's from that position of honest humility that God can send us out to represent Him in the world. So, my second call I call us to see with the eyes of Christ and to feel with the heart of Christ. Uh, I wrote down a summary here of of what I want to make sure you take home. This gratitude that I hope you have for God's grace then changes all of our human relationships. And it makes Martin Luther King Day and Sanctity of Life Days practical. You see, we don't show respect to all people simply out of political correctness. We don't show respect to people simply because laws tell us to. We do it because we are grateful people humbly reflecting the ways of Jesus to all who cross our paths. Who are we? We are beggars who have found bread through Jesus. Wanting to tell others where they can find the bread of life and knowing that it's in Jesus. Because we see all people as human. They are made in God's image. They are potential recipients of God's salvation and his blessing too. Because if God is willing and able to forgive me, there's hope for anybody. And that realization is the starting point for how we engage in every one of these thorny, difficult issues related to human life. Do you see it? So we see a young mother who wants to get rid of the child in her womb. And the first thing that we ask is not, oh, just giving her an edict, don't do such an awful thing. We sit down. We, We recognize the value of the human life in her womb, but we also recognize her own value as a human being and how hard this is. We listen. And the more we listen, the more we will see the image of God in both. And maybe God will give us wisdom to know what next steps will be. You see where we start, don't you? We go out of the church and we'll have these people who who ask us for the thousandth time, the same people, for for money as you go. Have you noticed that happens? The first thing we do is not that we say, Oh, here's some money out of guilt because of the sermon Greg preached. first thing we recognize is that this is not a way that God created my brothers and sisters to live, people made in God's image. And sometimes we, we have to listen. and it, It's hard and it takes time because the prayer is that there will be some way that they'll be able to break out of the pattern of living life that way. We, we come across a person who has AIDS. And the first question that we ask is, how did you get it? First question, we, we see that person's value and we just say, tell me your story. Tell me your story. And I'm listening and, and caring. There may be some way that we can bring them to Jesus. And then the remaking of that life can happen as it's happening with you and me. We, we see a person that we, we're not sure that person is documented. And the first question we ask is not, show me your piece of paper. First thing we see is a person who might have been here since he or she was one year old and we listen, and it doesn't settle all the legal problems that are so hard for us. I, I said I'm not going to be able to deal with that, but I know where we start. And, and when we start, as Jesus did, and we, we get into a, a talk that people said don't even have those talks, that's what they would have said to him. Then as we talk and we pray, God gives us wisdom, I think. And as we do it together, I, I believe that the people of this community see Christ in and through us and begin to see the glory of the Lord. See, I I haven't dealt with the the thorny issues, have I? I, But this is the starting point. Because, brothers and sisters, I think you know this, but I, I still have a dream that all these wrongs in us and in this world will someday be made right. I have a dream that the injustices that we see all around us and in our world will be done away with. I have a dream, beginning with us as his people, that the disrespect that continues to abound in our own nation, of person to person, will melt away into love. I have a dream that the brokenness of relationships for so many reasons in this world, will be healed. I, I too have a dream that one day, every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh, all flesh shall see it together for this is our hope in Christ. To His glory. To His glory. Amen.